0: Welcome to the Future Think podcast from the School for the Future of Innovation and in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with my colleague, Andrew Maynard, we chat with a variety of experts on and off campus about science, technology, innovation, and policy. This podcast brings you the hallway conversations where we think about our collective future. Today's episode is the second in our five-part series on innovation, society, and the circular economy for the 2016 Disruptive Innovation Festival. Today, I turn the tables a bit on Andrew as he's really the special guest. Andrew is a professor with me in the School for the Future of Innovation and Society, and he also runs the Risk Innovation Lab. We chat about risk and the circular economy and what risk innovation means. If you're listening to this podcast between November 11th and November 20th, we'd love to have you join the Disruptive Innovation Festival conversation. You can visit the festival online at thinkdiff.co, that's T-H-I-N-K-D-I-F F.co and locate our podcast events to add your comments. You can also leave us comments on iTunes or SoundCloud anytime, or tweet us at FutureThinkPod. As always, if you like what we're doing, please tell your friends, and thank you for listening. Hi, Andrew. Hi. So, the last episode, we talked about responsible research and innovation, and uh, that was our first episode for the podcast for the Disruptive Innovation Festival, And this time, we're going to talk about risk in the circular economy. So you run the Risk Innovation Lab here at ASU, and School for the Future of Innovation and Society. Yep. What does that mean?
1: So it's... The crude version is, it's a sandpit for playing around with new ideas. Um, Let me just say a little bit about what that means. So I've worked with risk for many years, um, both in terms of new technologies, trying to work out what the the future risks are, but also the the details of quantitative risk analysis. Um, How do you make sure that a chemical that somebody's exposed to isn't going to harm them? And one thing that has become very apparent over the many years I've been in this area is that we're very conservative and traditional with how we think about risk. So we have our risk toolbox, mm-hmm. but any problem that comes along that the tools don't fit, we tend to just push off to one side.
0: Tell me what kinds of tools are in a risk toolbox.
1: So the the obvious one, especially if you're dealing with chemicals, is idea of quantitative risk analysis or assessments where you develop a mathematical relationship with how much of something somebody's exposed to and how much of an effect you get it's the dose response relationship
0: okay so like i can bathe in insecticide for so many minutes before
1: that's right it'll it'll tell you sort of how little of your bathing is safe and how much of it you probably shouldn't do got it and it's and it's a really powerful tool because it means that if you have a brand new situation you can work out how much something is going to be suitably safe or appropriately safe and how much is not.
0: Okay.
1: The challenge is when we come to, to new sorts of exposures and new risks, the toolbox begins to look very sparse. So we already see this if, say, you're looking at mixtures of chemicals that people are exposed to. So you've got the environment and you've got a whole plethora of things out there, then you've got the food you eat and a whole other mix of stuff, the air you breathe, a whole other mix of stuff. Mm -hmm. How all of those synergistically interact together isn't that easy to pull apart when it comes to the conventional toolbox. So that's one example of an area where we fall a little short. Okay. It gets, a l- I was gonna say, it gets a little bit more complex. It gets a lot more complex if you're looking at advanced technologies. So something like um, genetic engineering or gene editing, for instance, uh-huh. where you can now go into an organism and you can reprogram its genetic code. Even though we're having to deal with the potential risks of doing that, we don't have a very good framework or a very good toolkit for doing that and then you extend that on to things like artificial intelligence, we're really at sea in terms of how to even conceptualize risk and address it. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing with the Risk Innovation Lab is creating an environment where we can be very creative with even how we conceptualize risk and think about it, and then we're looking at the the brightest sparks of ideas and looking at how we actually make those useful to people that that are addressing new risks.
0: Okay, so let's do a thought experiment. Mm -hmm with the circular economy. So how would the Risk Innovation Lab start to play with risk in the circular economy?
1: Two or three ways. The, the most obvious way is we have two or three framings that we're beginning to use looking at risk. So one of those, for instance, is thinking about risk as a threat to value. And that, that's specifically value in terms of how much or how little of something is important, not whether you consider it good or bad. So okay. monetary value, health would be another value. The integrity of the environment would be uh, another thing of value, things of importance. Okay. And this, this uh, framework of thinking about risk as a threat to value suddenly becomes very powerful you can approach conventional risks in this way, so you look at um, the health of ecosystems or the integrity of the environment, Mm -hmm. what's of value there, what's of importance is that integrity, so anything that threatens it can be seen as a risk and you can begin to work out how to mitigate that risk. Um, Same with human health, Um, that's something that's valuable to us. But you can also expand this out to think about things like lifestyles, for Mm -hmm. instance, quality of life, Um, security and threats, not only threats to your person but your livelihood, to your beliefs, your community. That value bucket you can put a lot of different things in and that really leads to a much richer way of how we think about risk and how we deal with that risk. The other component of that is it allows you to start thinking about risk from a community and an individual perspective. Uh So now you think about the circular economy there are going to be different communities that are impacted by either a circular or a linear economy in different ways mm-hmm. and those different communities we can begin to think about what's important to them and uh, maybe what isn't so important and we can begin to conceptualize risk in terms of those important things that are threatened mm-hmm. either by the circular economy or by not adopting the circular economy and then we can work out what we need to do about that
0: got it okay so For those of us, me included, who need examples, Mm -hmm. can we step through? Yes. So one of the, if I'm just gonna pull something out, one of the things that the uh, Ellen MacArthur Foundation puts in their very first basic cartoon video about what is the circular economy is the household appliance, Right. right? The dishwashing machine as a technology that perhaps we should rethink how that works. Right. So can you go
1: through that? Sure, so let's think really broadly to start with. So you've got your dishwasher,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what are the communities or who are the constituencies I should say that have a stake in that dishwasher? You've got the manufacturers, mm-hmm. you've got the retailers, uh-huh. you've got the users, yes you've got communities that are impacted at end of life, whether those are people that can actually benefit from recycling or people that have to suffer the consequences of you ditching your, your item. Okay. Um,
0: end of life of the utility. Of the, u- uh, of the uh, uh, what's the word that I just missed out of my head?
1: Uh, the, the item it's yes, itself. the we're item we're itself. We're talking about the dishwasher. Yes, I the would, dishwasher. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Not the end of life of the user of the dishwasher. No, no, sorry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're
1: talking about the dishwasher itself here. So, so you've, you've, got, um, you've, you've got different communities that, that have a, a stake in this. Mm-hmm. Um, that dishwasher represents either existing value or future value to all of them. Mm-hmm. So for instance, the, the manufacturers, the value is the money they get back in selling it and continuing to sell it. So actually their brand and their success is part of that value. If they sell a dishwasher that doesn't work, they reduce value that's a threat to something that's that's a risk to them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um same with the the consumer they need a dishwasher which is presumably not going to cost too much it's going to do what it's supposed to do do it efficiently ideally work for a a number of years and not break down not need a lot of maintenance and actually wash the dishes you look at the the end of the conventional life of that Mm Um, You've then got other communities. So, for instance, if you look at landfill, in fact, I don't even know what happens to dishwashers at the moment. I'm guessing that part of that, that the metal is um, taken for scrap and parts of it are put in landfill. I, I don't know. I would
0: ama- but, Let's just imagine. Th-
1: but let's, let's imagine that. So now the people that are going to extract usable parts of that, the value to them is what they can get out of that as cheaply as possible and how much they can sell it on for. Uh-huh. Um, with the landfill... Um, then you've got to look at the communities around that landfill. Um, so if it's a poorly managed landfill or if you're looking over a long period of time with that landfill, local communities are going to be adversely impacted. So that's a future value for them which is threatened. So they say they want a healthy environment mm-hmm. and the more you put in that landfill, the more that erodes the chances of them reaching that healthy environment. That's a future value which is threatened. It's, a, it's still a risk. Okay. So now you can begin to see if we don't think about the full life cycle impact of that appliance, mm-hmm. you've got different communities where different things that are important to them are either threatened or eroded. Okay. So that's a, that's a way that we begin to think about risk. Okay. So now you can begin to think about how you change that life cycle so you reduce the threat to risk to different groups of people.
0: Okay. Would it be safe to imagine then that there's value in going through this symmetrical exercise and thinking about the risk of engaging in a circular economy as opposed to... Exactly,
1: exactly. So you can go through it and think about, well, what are the risk points? What does the risk landscape look like with a linear economy? Mm -hmm. And then you can go to the circular economy. So now imagine that at the end of this We are talking about dishwashers. I keep wanting to say washing machine, but it's a dishwasher, isn't it? It's
0: basically the same thing. It's something that
1: sits in your your house and does something for you that you don't want to do yourself. Um, So now you can um, imagine at the end of that that life, we begin to reutilize every single component of that and Mm -hmm. plow it back into the economy. And here I think we have to be fairly open and um, sort of broad-minded in terms of how and who or how how different uh, communities are going to be impacted and who's going to be impacted. So you can actually imagine a scenario where this circular economy is going to impact things of importance to certain groups. So imagine you're now the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. You have a business in taking raw material, uh, because this is what you're used to doing, Mm -hmm. producing appliances, selling them, then breaking um, them being disposed of, and then you sell another one into the linear economy. As Soon as you go to the circular economy, if that company relies on the traditional business model Mm -hmm. they're threatened so that is a risk to them Mm -hmm. Um, and you can see that along the chain as you begin to sort of cycle things around some people are going to benefit from that Mm -hmm. some people are going to have things that are important to them that are threatened Mm -hmm. and if you don't understand that dynamic Um, you end up being very naive with how you think about what the circular economy will do because you're very very narrowly looking at only those communities that you think will benefit. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you understand who is potentially threatened by going to a full circular economy, Mm -hmm. you can begin to work out how you reduce that threat or how you change the things that they consider are important. So what they consider that is important is aligned with a different sort of economy. So you go back to the manufacturer. um, with their old business model, the circular economy idea is a really bad idea because they lose market. Sure. But what if they can then begin to change their whole business model? So not only do they redesign their, their products so they, get inc- uh, they continue to get that, that financial value from selling them, mm-hmm. but they can also begin to incorporate the recycled components so that they can continue to add value to those components and resell into the marketplace. Right, right. So that means that the, the risk mitigation is actually changing the business model in that case.
0: Okay, so this is, uh, if I were to oversimplify and synthesize, it seems like this risk analysis exercise and the symmetrical risk analysis exercise is one of the ways that one might think in an anticipatory and dare I say responsible way, right? About future innovation. It, it
1: is very very much so. And I I should hate to say here, so I started off saying that we sort of work in the sandpit, we play around with mm-hmm. new ideas. A lot of what we do with risk innovation is trying to bring new insights to complex challenges and problems. Mm-hmm and allow other people to actually build something concrete around those. Um, okay. And it, so it's a, it's obviously a bit of a challenge talking about risk innovation, because we can come out with wonderful ideas, but as soon as you want to make them concrete, it's a little harder. But hopefully some of those sparks will then go on to somebody else. So then you come back to looking at this idea of responsibility and anticipation. Mm-hmm. One thing that this whole framework and way of thinking about risk innovation, uh, the way that it helps you, is to think about the future. So now think about future value. Mm -hmm. Um, So you could say, think broadly about the circular economy. You can say that we want to build a society um, which is less dependent on very limited resources Mm -hmm. and more able to use the resources around us efficiently as possible and you can talk about how that benefits the environment how it benefits the economy how it benefits health in a in a new world Mm -hmm. so our future value the thing that we really want the thing that's really important to us is a better world in the future that more efficiently uses resources Mm -hmm. and the risk is anything that threatens us actually getting there Mm -hmm. so now you're beginning to anticipate a future that you want Mm -hmm. and risk innovation both helps you understand the pathways towards that future and the things that might actually upset you on that pathway or threaten that pathway towards that future. So that really is talking about anticipation and responsibility.
0: Okay. And is part of that thinking then recognizing who or what is threatened on the path to that future and then trying to figure out how to bring those threatened groups along.
1: It, it absolutely is and even possibly changing where you think you're going. Okay. So one of the conceits here is assuming that you have the perfect vision of the ideal future mm-hmm. and anybody that doesn't align with it is wrong. Mm-hmm. And immediately you can see that that in itself is a threat to building a better future because it leads to a very very fragile pathway forward mm-hmm. um, where if somebody challenges your initial con- uh, assumption that you know what the future is like everything begins to crumble mm-hmm. um, and so especially you see that if you had this perfect ideal at the future and you suddenly discover that for example blue-collar workers that are looking for real jobs and real sort of careers within their their domain they feel threatened by that and they're going to block that if you don't understand the threats to different communities that your vision of the future is going to create you're not going to successfully build that future or else that future is going to be jeopardized you're going to increase the risk of actually not getting there so what this this lens of risk innovation does as you begin to look at anticipating the ways forward Mm -hmm. is revealing potential blockages towards that that route forward, but it also helps you understand how you might actually want in collaboration with others to head to a slightly different future, which is going to be more beneficial to everybody involved.
0: Okay, so if we could possibly boil it down, which is nuts right to think that we would take this this is incredibly complex stuff and incredibly complex and sophisticated ways to think about the future but if one were to try to boil it down as we like to do in our you know 140 characters or less society Mm -hmm. can you give us a mini checklist like a mini mental checklist for disruptive innovators to make sure, right? Right, <laughs> right. That right. as we are disruptively innovating, that we're doing so with attention, appropriate attention to risk. Yeah.
1: Um, so the simple answer is no, but I'm going to try anyway. Thank of you.
0: Thank you. So,
1: <laughs> so some things are very clear, and some things are very basic. Like, mm-hmm. talk to others. Okay. Um, don't assume that you know all the answers. Um, and this is this is so basic it's, it's stupid but talk to communities that are potentially impacted by the way that you would like to build the future okay. and understand where as you try and build value build things that are important where that potentially threatens value to others mm-hmm. because as you begin to understand where you are putting others at risk you can work out how to develop partnerships that, that minimize that risk while increasing your own value or benefit. So talking to others actually is incredibly important. Okay. Um, associated with that is drop the hubris and build humility. Okay. Uh, and again it's the idea that you th- you may think you know what is best for the future but the chances of you being absolutely right are minimal. Which means you've got to have that, that reflexivity and that humility to realize that maybe others have got something valuable to bring to the table that you hadn't seen and you may have to change your worldview. Okay. Um, then the third thing is just be aware of broader social, political, and geographical dynamics. Okay. Um, So, we we see this a lot with tech innovation and startups, where they're absolutely convinced they have got the best thing since sliced bread to make the world a better place. They, They just know it. And they know that if only they could get the tech right, everything will be wonderful. And more often than not, what they fail to recognize is it's not just getting the technology right, it's understanding the social dynamics, Mm -hmm. understanding what other people think, understanding the politics and the policy arena, Mm -hmm. including things like if you don't realize that there's regulation on the books which is gonna come into play in six or 12 months which directly opposes what you're trying to do, Mm -hmm. you're dead in the water, you may not realize it yet, but you're gonna be dead in the water in the future if you don't anticipate that. It's exactly the same with any sort of future innovation, especially disruptive innovation if you don't have a good sense of what the emerging landscape is like that you've got to navigate through, mm-hmm. the chances are you're going to get lost very fast.
0: Okay, so if we can boil it down, three three items on the checklist yes. then. One, talk to others. Yep. Two, which is has a part A and a B, drop hu- hubris and build humility. Yep. And then number three, you said, be aware of the broader world dynamics around you, and maybe I could reframe that to say, look around through someone else's glasses.
1: Yes, and I, I think it is broader than that, but that's that's actually a really good start.
0: Okay. At. Yes. All right, so that I think is very helpful. And between the first episode that we talked about, responsible innovation, and this time we're talking about uh, risk innovation and, and thinking about risk in the circular economy, The next episode, we're going to try to put some of these ideas into action.
1: That sounds great.
0: All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. For more Where That Came From, check out the School for the Future of Innovation and Society at sfis.asu.edu. The Future Think podcast is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation and Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at Arizona State University. Our music is by Mark Van Heer. Please subscribe. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and on Twitter at FutureThinkPod.